All right, praise the Lord. How many ready for the coming of Jesus Christ? I'm ready, praise the Lord. And uh, if that makes you nervous, you need to come up here to an altar and get ready. Because the children of God are excited about the return of Jesus Christ. The 19th chapter of Revelation is the second return of Jesus Christ to planet Earth. And uh, we're going to read the first 10 verses. And the book of Revelation, as I've said previously, is easy to find. It's, it's between the book of Jude and your everlasting future. It's the last book in your New Testament. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. You say, I was just up a while ago. I know Pentecostals up, down, up, down, up, down. And that's the reason we do that, because you'd fall asleep on us if we didn't. Up, down, up, down, up, down. And besides that, it's good therapy. It's better than a chiropractor. And that's not making light of a chiropractor. I'm just saying you got to move. Amen. And after these things, I heard a great voice. I love that phrase. You find it over and over in Revelation. A great voice, a loud voice. It looks like God is going to have to give us um, incorruptible, glorified bodies to withstand the volume in heaven. I'm thankful for the fact that the volume will be turned up. I hate going somewhere with a whispering real quiet. I like to hear what's saying, and the older I get, the more I want it louder. So the great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. That's in chapter 17 and 18. And again they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That word omnipotent just means all-powerful. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These uh, are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
I want to just make a few statements before I have you seated. You notice the spelling is different from the Old Testament into the New Testament on the word hallelujah. And in the Old Testament, it's with an H, hallelujah. In the New Testament, four times, hallelujah. The reason it's hallelujah is they transliterated it out of Hebrew into Greek. It's a transliteration. It means the same thing. You know what it means? Praise the Lord. Woo! And um, we've got a lot to praise God about, and we just thank the Lord for that. I want to use for a subject today the marriage supper of the Lamb. You may be seated. There is a lot of misunderstanding about when the wedding of the bride is going to be. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm going to answer those misunderstandings, whether you like it or not. I'm going to show you and bring sanity into these verses of Scripture and show how glorious and how magnificent being part of the church really is. It's a blessing. Now, I love the phrase, hallelujah. They're giving God praise and they're shouting hallelujah because the great harlot has collapsed. All false doctrine, all occults, all wicked uh, pagan uh, uh, worship toward false gods and idols have collapsed. The economy, there in the 18th chapter of Revelation, the, the um, great harlot is the commercial Babylon. How many would agree that this earth is quite unjust and unfair? Well, it's, it's unjust and unfair in a lot of areas, especially in the areas the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Now, let me say quickly, I'm not opposed to being rich. Sounds good to me. But I am opposed to stealing it or embezzling it or taking it without proper etiquette. And the world is full of thieves and robbers. And the whole system is corrupt from lust to greed to covetousness. The whole world is full of wickedness. Revelation, we've been preaching on Revelation, and we've seen that God has pretty much, you know, just destroyed the planet. What man didn't destroy, God destroys the rest. The earth is burning. The world is collapsing. Mountains have tumbled. Islands have sunken into the waters. It looks like the continents have been merged back together. And there is this horrendous wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. In the first 10 verses, you see uh, in this scripture that we are in heaven at this time, in the reading of the scriptures, in heaven. But verse 11 says heaven opens up and Jesus comes to earth. That will be next Sunday. I'd like for it to be today. But that will be next Sunday morning when Jesus Christ returns in the second coming. Now, let me explain to you something about his coming. You hear people say all the time, well, the Lord's about to return. And that's true. He's going to come in a moment, twinkling of an eye. Any time he could return. And it is true the Lord could come before I get through preaching. Some of you kind of wish for that sometimes, I think. Maybe even some of you desperately pray for that. I don't know. But I do know that 
the second coming is in two phases, actually. Uh, you can divide it up. For the church, the second coming is Jesus descending to the atmospheric pressure above the earth and calling us up to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and on. And that will be a time that will be glorious. And the earth will plunge into out just complete darkness. The reign of the Antichrist, we've been preaching about it through chapter 6 all the way to chapter 18. The earth has not only suffered man's wrath, but Satan's wrath and also God's wrath. But the church is removed because God is going to bring his wrath upon the earth. You find that in the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter of Revelation. We've discussed this before, but the, the, the second coming is in twofold or two phases. One for his church. Jesus does not come to earth. He doesn't, he doesn't stand on the Mount of Olives. He comes to the atmosphere above us, atmos atmospheric pressure above the earth, and he calls his church up to meet him in the clouds of the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. After the great tribulation, after chapter uh, 7 and on, actually uh, chapter 6 and on to chapter uh, 18, uh, the earth goes through a series of great judgments from God. Through all of these great judgments, God has given them over and over. He's, he's, he's extended his hand of mercy over and over to them. And there has been millions saved. There's been people come to the Lord immediately after the rapture. There'll be people come to the Lord during the great tribulation. I want you to know that God will not say no to anyone that lifts their voice up to him in agony and in contrition saying, help me. God will help they that are contrite in heart. God's a good God. Don't let these wrath and these, uh, these judgments uh, deceive you. God's a good God. And we need to understand, too, that the preparation for Jesus Christ to, turn, to return to planet Earth, the second coming is when he comes to Earth, he stands on the Mount of Olives, same place Jesus Christ ascended up from, the very same Mount of Olives. Remember when Jesus Christ stretched out his hands and he blessed the disciples and he was taken up into the heavens and a cloud wrapped him like a towel and he just gone. Jesus just gone to sit down at the right hand of God the Father. Two angels stood beside them disciples. Then what were those disciples doing? They were... That's what they were doing. Those disciples were going... And the angels are saying, oh, brothers, why stand ye gazing, looking up into heaven? This same Jesus come in like manner as you've seen him go. In other words, the scripture is very clear that Jesus Christ will return to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is just waiting for that footprint of Jesus Christ. And when the footprint touches the Mount of Olives in his second return to planet Earth, the, the mountain will erupt, earthquake will take place, a valley will open, and then will become... We'll talk about that next Sunday. <laughs> Stay tuned for another episode of Revelation. But that is the second coming to earth. The first is he comes for his church. The second is he comes to earth with his church. In Revelation chapter 19, Jesus Christ comes with his church. 
will say, well, how can he come with his church if they're still on earth? That's what I'm trying to get across to you. They won't be. Jesus Christ is going to come to the atmosphere and call us up to meet him in the air. And then Jesus Christ, you know, we're called ambassadors. And even, you know, pagan kings called their ambassadors home before war. And so God just calls his ambassadors, you and I, home before he starts hitting the earth with fire and brimstone and judgments. We'll get into that in just a little bit. I, I, you know, I feel the preacher coming. Woo, feel the preacher coming. Let me point out some things real quickly before, we, before I get into the nitty-gritty of this, and this will be nitty-gritty. Notice it says that the harlot, the smoke of her torment, ascendeth up forever and ever. Now, a lot of people would kind of mistake that. That's in verse 3, and again, they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And a good, a good, there's about three interpretations of this, and, and I kind of lean to two or three interpretations of this. Kind of lean to all of them. But the first interpretation is where it says the smoke of her torment rises up, that's the harlot Babylon, will rise it up forever and ever. It just means God's permanent judgment. God's permanent judgment. It also could mean that in the millennium, that thousand-year reign, that the church will rule and reign with Jesus Christ, that the city of Babylon may smolter and smoke for a thousand years. It's also possible that God will see to it that that smoke goes up for eternity. Every time one of them angels kind of get a little bit, you know, sideways, the Lord just blows a little more smoke up. It's for discipline. You say, well, I can't believe that. Well, Ezekiel and Isaiah both declare that we'll be able to go down and look into the lake of fire. And looking down into the lake of fire, we will see the devil and we will say, is this the man that made the nations quake in fear? So there's a constant reminder of God's judgment and his power. I think that's a good, good interpretation. The word hallelujah, they're praising God. I love this verse one. Hallelujah, salvation. Woo! I've been shouting hallelujah, salvation. I mean, I shout hallelujah, Old Testament style, and I shout hallelujah, New Testament style. Amen? When I really get excited, I use the H, hallelujah. And then when I want to be a little more dignified, hallelujah. But either way, it's so exciting. Salvation is exciting. Anybody that's in bored in church just needs to be saved or the preacher does one. I mean, I just say it like I feel it. Sometimes I don't even feel it and I say it. But anyway, verse 4 says the beast, these beasts in Revelation 4 and 5, four faces on them. They're seen in Ezekiel. These beasts fall down. You know, I want to see that. I want to see them big monsters fall and the sea of glass shakes and they worship God. 
And they say, amen. The four, uh, four and 20 elders shout, amen. Hallelujah. Verse 6. It talks about thunderings, the voices of many waters. I've never been to Niagara Falls, but I have been around a lot of rushing water. And one thing, you need really good ears to hear someone talking to you. Uh, I've not been to Niagara Falls, but I'm told if you can be standing right beside someone. And the Ni Niagara Falls running tons and tons of water, and it has such a, a rushing roar of water that you can go, Hello! And they think, you're yawning. <laughs> they can't hear you because of the noise. But I want you to know we're going to be given glorified ears. And we will hear the clapping of thunder from wall to, to, from eternity to eternity. We're going to hear the, 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 the clapping and the, uh, the, the roars of, of thunder uh, hit on one side of eternity and clap back on another side of eternity. We're going to hear the thunder and the roar and the worship and the glory and the amens and the hallelujahs are just burned to our soul and we'll shout glory, hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. As you can see, they're having quite a spell in heaven. Hello? And I think it's important that we learn to have quite a spell on earth. Verse 7, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife had made herself ready. When? Where? And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. That one little word, the fine linen is, that one little word is the righteousness of the saints, tells me that they are facing in heaven the bema seat judgment. They will be purged, the church will. Not purged to be for our sins, but purged for our motives. And everything that we have, Paul spoke of it, that will be, you know, will everything be tried by fire and only that which is stands in, that's like silver and gold and, and the precious stones of God will stand forever. And so there will be a time of judgment for the Christian, but not about sin, but about motives. It'll be a time of reward, be a time of crowns. And I think that's what we see here is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. The marriage supper of the Lamb is not the wedding. So, well, what is it? Supper. The marriage supper of the Lamb is not the wedding. It's not the wedding at all. You say, once again, what was it, preacher? Supper. And the marriage supper of the Lamb will be held on planet Earth, not in heaven. Because all those that live on Earth during that time will be given opportunity to come as guests to the marriage 
supper of the Lamb. And those without garments will be cast, as Jesus said, bind them hand and foot and cast into the furnace. So it'll be a time in which Jesus Christ will introduce his bride to planet Earth. Now, these people in Revelation at the start of this chapter 19, they're, they're shouting, they're excited, and I'm excited too, but we're not coming back to earth to fight. Jesus Christ is going to fight. Jesus Christ is going to put down the kingdoms of this world. Jesus Christ is going to come and fight in the battle of Armageddon. We're going to be spectators. Well, I don't believe we'll be spectators. Yeah, you're, you're one of them people that thinks you're saved by your works. We'll be spectators. Don't think for a minute your little old puny muscle there is going to be needed by Jesus. Not even a glorified. You might have one the size of a marble in the glorified. I don't know. But Jesus, we're not coming back to fight. We're coming back to rule and reign upon the earth for a thousand years. We're excited because of the church. We're returning to planet earth and we are going to see a true utopia for 1,000 years. A brand new uh, uh, Ezekiel's temple, a brand new city. King David will be king over Israel and Jesus will be king of kings and Lord of lords over the entire planet. That is called the millennial reign. But before we get the cart before the horse, I want to talk to you about the marriage, the wedding. I think it's important that we understand the, the wedding. And the first 10 verses is talking about not only the wedding, but also talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so we need to fast forward or maybe fast backward to the patriarch weddings, back to Jewish weddings. Get this Western mindset out of your head. The Jewish wedding, at least the older ones, the, the uh, ones that were back many, many centuries back, they were spiritual, highly, highly symbol, uh, full of symbols and highly spiritual. And they took serious being married and taking a wife. I've said it before. There's, I don't do weddings anymore. Anybody comes to me and wants a wedding, I say, Josh, talk to Josh, talk to somebody. I don't care. Go see the, go see the justice of the peace. Anybody. Shoot, check out our janitor. But I don't do weddings. So why don't you do weddings? Because of two reasons. Mother-in-law and mother-in-law. Now, that isn't the only reason. The other reason is I'm getting old and I forget things and I drop rings and I, I call the, the best man the wrong name. And, you know, that, you know, I just, if I'm going to be nervous, I want to, you know, I want to preach and you be nervous, not me. But the Jewish wedding, we're talking about way back, not now, but some, uh, some hold to it even then. But much of what Jesus Christ did portrayed a Jewish wedding. Much of what Jesus Christ revealed to us is a Jewish wedding. 
And I want to share with you just eight little thoughts about a Jewish wedding. The bride is chosen by the groom's father. I mean, two old geezers get together and decide that their two-year-old is going to marry this other two-year-old. One will be a female, one will be a male, still. And they'll get together and they'll decide that there's going to be a marriage between these young girl, young boy. And the father of the bridegroom will choose the girl, the bride. They'll do it while they're young sometimes. And by the way, they got married really young. Mary was probably, oh, I don't know, 13, 14 years old when she got married to Joseph. And, uh, and of course, Joseph wasn't the father of Jesus, but they, we'll get into that a little bit later on. But, but um, they marry young. You know, kind of like North and South Carolina, Virginia. Arkansas. You go now. Marry young. Nothing wrong with marrying young. And by the way, I don't, I'm not so sure that it's too bad for the father to pick the, the bride. I'd love to pick Josh's bride. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do I have a motion that pastor picks Josh's bride? All right, got one, Don Elliott. All right, second. All in favor? Motion carried. Oh, she'll be a chunk, son. <laughs> Two old geezers get together and they decide that their daughter and son are going to get married. At that time, there'll be a, an agreement. And the father of the bridegroom, the boy, will pay a huge dowry for the girl. Let me share a scripture with you. For those of you that don't think the father chooses the bride, John 10, verse 29, Jesus Christ said, my father which gave them me. My father gave them me. Did you know the Father gave me to Jesus. If you're born again right now, the Father gave you to Jesus. Let me say real quickly so you won't misunderstand what I'm saying. Salvation was first the Father's idea. It's the Father who instituted salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten what? Son. So the Father chooses the bride. And when the father chooses the bride, look at 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God, the father, has chosen, without getting into election and predestination and chosen, uh, I just want to move on and say, God chose you to be born again. 
And when you called on Jesus Christ and you asked him to forgive you, God says, there's one of them I chose. So how do I know if I'm chosen or not? Call on Jesus Christ, you'll be a chosen one. Pretty simple, pure choice. Sound like Shane said when he's knocking on doors and he's asking people if they want to go to heaven. Shane was just a little guy then. He knocked on the door, you want to go to heaven? And, and somebody at the house said to Shane, um, Shane says, you want to go to heaven? And they said, no. And Shane says, go to hell then. <laughs> I'm always getting new insight to how to evangelize. <laughs> Not only is there a large dowry given, that is in case the marriage union doesn't work out, the little girl will have means. And the father will not lose. The bride is purchased. They actually sell their daughter to the father. Now, before you get angry, you know, I, the more I read this, the more I, I'm convinced that I would do a better job picking my son-in-law's. I didn't think it would be that ugly, but I feel like I'm in a political rally right now. It's so disgusting. We're set apart. Sanctified means we're set apart. In other words, the bride is purchased, set apart. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold, but from your from your vain life or vain living conversation, um, uh, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. God the Father chooses us. The Son of God washes us, redeems us, purchases us by his righteousness, holiness, and blood. When that happens, there's called a betrothal of the bride. Betrothal of the bride. So what is betrothal? It's a hard word to pronounce. That's what it is. Betrothal is engagement. And so someone says yes to the groom. That's, you know, the girl has a say. Said the girl has a say. She can say yes or no. I'll get into that. Just well, let me let me say. I I, I think it's in Genesis twenty two or twenty four where Abraham tells Eliezer. Abraham's old. He tells Eliezer, "I want you to go get a bride for Isaac." Well, Isaac didn't go with him. Eliezer's a picture of the Holy Spirit, and so. Uh, Eliezer goes out as a picture of the Holy Spirit to seek and find a bride for Isaac. So what was Isaac doing? Oh, God, please, please make her pretty. I know what he was doing. And when Eliezer got, you know, Abraham didn't want him to go into Canaanites, go to his home uh, land. And he went to the, the homeland where Abraham grew up, where his family was. And Eliezer comes to a well. 
Now, he brought with him 10 camels, 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 10 camels. There I, there I go again, 10 camels. You say, why did he bring 10 camels? For, were they good eating? No, on top of those camels was gold and silver and rubies and all kinds of wealth. 10 of them carrying wealth, gifts to the bride and to the bride's father. And so he comes to a well at noon. The younger ladies get into water for, the, for their homes. And um, so Eliezer prayed a prayer kind of like you and I do. He said, Lord, God, when this young girl comes to the well and I ask her for a drink and she gives me a drink, uh, let her also offer water to my camels. Have you got any idea how much water that would take to water 10 camels? 10 camels. And so Rebecca comes to the well. She has a brother named Laban, which is a, he's a sorry rascal. He'll show up in Jacob's world. And so um, Rebecca offers a drink, and she gives a drink to Eliezer, and he drinks the water, and then she says, oh, oh, let me get water for all your camels. And the Bible says that Eliezer was shocked. It just blowed him away. Wow. I wish I was younger. Whoo, what a woman. She's pretty too. Well, he goes there to the place there in the tent, uh, the father of Rebecca, and he basically buys that girl. But the girl has to say yes to go. And so they take her back to Isaac. Isaac's out there working in the field, and here comes the camel. Rebecca's on it. She beat half to death. The camels beat her around. Her hair's strung down. I mean, she looks like Phyllis Diller. I mean, she may be pretty, but not there. And Isaac looked up and saw her coming and said, Whoo, I hope she's pretty. Running up there. And he grabs her. She jumps down off the camel. And Isaac looks at her, brushes all that dust off her hair and says, Whoa, you're kind of good looking. You say, that's not in the Bible. I know it's not, but it's good preaching. How do you know it? that ain't how it worked? Amen? And so there's a betrothal that takes place. And the betrothal basically is saying she must live the life of a virgin. Now, the betrothal is when they get engaged, but they have no sexual contact. They get engaged, but there is no physical sexual contact at all. And this time is a time in which she is being tested, the bride. This betrothal is a time when we're going to see if she's going to be pure and she's going to live the life of a virgin. It doesn't necessarily mean that the ten virgins were, you know, actually virgins. It means they lived the life of a virgin life. I think they were virgins, but anyway... I don't think they could find enough of them today. But anyway. Oh. 
This is the hardest bunch in the world to preach to today. See, I bet you won't put this on TV. Probably not. <laughs> to an inheritance, this is in 1 Peter 1, verse 4 and 5. To an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be delivered, be, be revealed in the last time. So there is a betrothal taking place. It's the same as being married. You had to get a divorce to get you free from this engagement. You were the same as married without benefits. That's okay. The groom's not going to be there anyway. We'll see that in a minute. But during the betrothal, the bride is to keep herself clean. She's not to run around with the other girls. She's to act like a good Christian woman or Jewish woman. And it's a time of testing, a time of obeying, a time of living pure in the sight of God. And so after she's purchased and after there's a betrothal, which actually means engagement that would take a divorce to break it. They actually have a, a, a cup of wine in the time of the covenant. And the cup of wine and the documents, the legal documents when they become um, engaged or betrothal. And there's legal uh, things that take place between the father and between the groom and the, uh, the bridesmaid. And all the documents are made. And then at the end of that, they have a document that's made, and then they have a glass of wine. It's called the New Testament cup in my blood. You're the bride of Christ. Jesus Christ purchased us by his blood. You're the bride of Christ. The Father gave us to his Son. You're the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are, uh, we are engaged or betrothal. Uh, 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 we're yielded to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ made a covenant, the cup of the covenant. Luke 22, verse 17 and 18. And Jesus took the cup in that upper room, gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. The last cup, Jesus Christ said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come or until we get to my father's house. Isn't that beautiful? And at that time, when Jesus took the cup, he says, divide this among you. Uh, I, I think it's incredible where it says, take this and divide it among yourself, meaning we ought to continue to obey the Lord's Supper. We ought to continue to enjoy this 
covenant. We ought to continue to enjoy God's good word. We ought to be a chaste virgin. We ought to live for God. We ought to love God. We ought to honor God, keep ourselves clean, and know that God has made us promises. We have a covenant, the Bible. We, we know that we are bought with a price. We belong to Jesus Christ, and one day he's going to return, and Jesus Christ says in the covenant, I want you to take this, divide it among yourselves, continue to, to look at my death, burial, and resurrection, continue to look at what I did for you, continue to focus on me, Jesus Christ says, remember me, don't forget me, take the bread, remember my body being broken for my bride, remember my blood being shed for the sins of my bride, remember, remember me, I purchased you, I bought you with my own blood, remember me, this do in remembrance of me. He took the cup, but he wouldn't drink it. He said, I'll drink it when we get to my father's house. Woo! So what happens? The departure of the bridegroom. He leaves. The bridegroom leaves. He's, he, is, he is committed to his bride. He gave gifts to her. He blessed her. He said, this is what I'll do. He made a covenant with her. He hasn't known her sexually in any way. There's not been any consummation of the wedding, uh, of, the, of the marriage, no consummation of the marriage, and he goes away. I want you to know our Jesus Christ went away. And back in the Jewish wedding times, when, when a, a, a bridegroom chose a bride, he'd make the covenant, and then he would go back to his father's house, and he would add on to his father's house. He'll build a mansion to his father's house, and when he builds on, sometimes three or four generations to live in the same house. And he'd go back, and he'd build, and the father would say, keep building, son. Oh, I want to go now. No, keep building. You're going to have me lots of grandchildren. Keep building. And he keep building, keep building, keep building. And he can't go back to get his bride until the place is done. Jesus Christ went to heaven. John 14, verse 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. I'm coming back for my bride. Woo! I'm coming back for the church. Wow. Woo! Didn't preach myself happy. And the departure of the bride, you have Matthew 25, the, the, the bridesmaids, the 10 bridesmaids, virgins. Five were fo- uh, wise, five were foolish. And what happened was they would watch in the night. This, this, this uh, uh, group of virgins would watch in the night for the coming of the bridegroom. They keep their oil lamps burning. They knew he'd come in the night. Our job as Christians is not only a job as a bride, but also a bridegroom. Uh, and also a bridesmaid. Our job is to send forth the light of Jesus Christ because the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. I said the Lord is coming. Our job is to keep the light burning in the night because Jesus Christ is coming and he'll probably come at night. And when he comes at night, go you out to meet the bridegroom. And you know what they did when Jesus, when, when, when the bridegroom come to get his bride, they would elevate her up on a, 
animal or they would elevate her up on uh, servants that would lift her up, elevate her, and carry her home to the Father's house. And I want you to know one day, I'll be caught up to meet Jesus in the air, and I'll be carried away. You as children of God be carried away to our Father's house. Woo! It's called the rapture of the church. There you go. Now you'll forgive me for my comment earlier. There's times of gifts during this time of the bridegroom gone. He gives gifts before he leaves and he continues to give gifts. He sends gifts, remember me. He sends gifts like the Holy Ghost. He sends gifts like salvation. He sends gifts like blessings and answers to prayer. He sends gifts like the possession of the Holy Ghost in your life. He sends gifts and takes care of us and gives us exceeding great and precious promises until the coming of the bridegroom. And when the bridegroom descends from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ that sleep in Jesus, and we which are alive as a church will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Jesus will come and get us, and he will carry us back to his Father's house. To his father's house. And there at his father's house, in the customary Jewish wedding was, they were to be secluded in the father's house, hidden for one week. They were to be one week, seven days, hidden in the father's house, safe and secure in the father's care. They're getting to know each other. The consummation of the marriage is taking place. Oh, they have a meal. They have a time, special guests, maybe Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and others that are there, Moses. They get together, and there's a, there's a special type of setting, kind of like the marriage of Canaan, or Cana, not Canaan, Cana. And, you know, they, they have a special time. But this is not the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the time in which the church will be with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, for seven years. One week, seven days. Daniel says, one week, seven years. Seven years of great tribulation. But the church will be hidden in the Father's house. Now, if that won't burn your wood, your wood's really wet. I doubt if you even got wood. If that don't excite you, you're dead, graveyard dead. You need some dirt sprinkled on you. And for seven days, or that's the time they get to know each other, consummation of the wedding. When we're with Jesus in heaven, we'll get to know each other in an intimate way. We will return at the end of that one week and the bride will be so gorgeous and she'll be coming with her bridegroom, Jesus, and she'll be coming to earth to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Earth will be introduced to the bride and King Jesus. Oh, there's other things going on. We'll talk about that next Sunday. There's other things going on. But basically, he's going to have a great supper 
on the earth, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's going to introduce his wife. I love that phrase, she had made herself ready. I wonder how long it took her to do that. Get ready to go to a big meal. Last but not least and beautiful, the return of the bride and the groom for the marriage supper of the Lamb on earth. On earth. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the marriage and the wedding. But it is on earth, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm grateful for the fact that Jesus Christ is going to introduce us as his great and precious bride, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, we'll be coming back with Jesus on white horses. We'll be coming back with Jesus as a bride adorned. And there's going to be a millennium. There's going to be a millennium, and we're going to rule and reign with Jesus, our bridegroom, for a thousand years. There's going to be a utopia. Praise God, no Republicans, no Democrats. No independents, just one independent. His name's Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, if you've got a lick of sense in one eye, go vote Tuesday. If you don't, stay away. That's all I'm going to say. That ain't all I want to say, but that's all I'm going to say. But Jesus Christ is going to come. After that millennium, after this beautiful millennium, we're going to see a new heaven and a new earth. And there's going to be a holy city called Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Adorn for her bride. Adorn for her husband. Adorn as a bride. And that's where the bride is going to live. In the city four square. Other people will come and visit. Other people will come and go. But we will have our residence in the city four square. As the bride of Christ. Abraham will come. The, the leaves of the nation, uh, trees will be for the healing of the nations. The leaves of the healing trees for the, for the healing of the nations. It'll be a place, and I'm not going to get into that. Uh, that's for another Sunday morning. Um, stay tuned. We'll get to that later on. But if you can just imagine how precisely Jesus Christ did this, when he got ready to go to the cross and shed his blood, he drank the cup with his disciples. I think the disciples probably said to themselves, this is a lot like a wedding. Yeah. And Jesus Christ said, this is the document in my blood. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Let me read that scripture to you. We've got time. I mean, somebody shout, we got time. All right. Someone shout, hallelujah. hallelujah. Those that really mean business, shout, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Woo. Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 
chapter 11, verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. This is Paul speaking that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Take, he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. For after the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, do, this do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What's it all about? Remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. Till when? Till he comes. You're on the betrothal right now. That's all of us are in the betrothal age. If you're a Christian and you are to live the life of a virgin, you'd live the life of a chaste virgin spiritually. I'm not talking physically here. I'm talking about live for the Lord. And Jesus Christ said, I'm not going to drink that last cup until we get together in the Father's house. And one day Jesus Christ is going to descend from heaven with a shout. And he's going to come and get us. We're going to go home. And the great tribulation is going to rage and roar on on planet earth. But we're going to be hidden in the Father's house. We're going to be a consummation with our, with our wedding and our Jesus Christ. And one day we're going to return. One week later, seven years later, return with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ said he took bread and he broke it. Join me. Took bread. Jesus Christ took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I suffered for you. I agonized for you. This is my body, which was broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. He blessed it. He gave sup. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is the cup, the covenant, the blood that was shed. This is the blood of the New Testament, the blood of my covenant with you. See, we're having a betrothal here. We're having an agreement here. He said, take this cup and remember that my blood was shed for you. Remember that I paid the ultimate price, the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And he says, when you take this cup and take this bread, you do this in remembrance of him. Oh, I remember him. Oh, I wasn't there when they drove the nails in his hands, but my sins was there. Oh, I wasn't there when they spit on his face, but my sins were there. Oh, I wasn't there when he agonized on the cross of Calvary, but God's love for me was there. God's provision for me was there. God's grace was for me was there. I'm as guilty as the people who hung you on the cross over 2,000 years ago. I'm guilty. And I take this cup, this bread, and one day... He that died for me. One day, he that was buried in a tomb for me. One day, he that arose again from the grave for me. 
ascended back to the Father, pours out his blessing upon us and says, keep serving me, keep loving me, keep honoring me, keep the uh, betrothal up, keep the engagement up, stay pure, live the life of a virgin, live your life before God. And Jesus pours out blessing after blessing after blessing. He said, if you have to die for me, then die for me. If you have to suffer for me, then suffer for me. But be what you should be. Be faithful to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one day, Jesus Christ, will, the Father will say to his son, go get your bride. And the and his son will descend from heaven with the clap of thunder, the trump of God, the shout of an archangel, and he'll call us home. Hallelujah. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Now let's do it the Greek style, the translated style, the Greek, the translated, literated, hallelujah. Come on, show. Hallelujah. hallelujah. Now let's do it the Old Testament style, Elijah style. Hallelujah. hallelujah. Yeah. yeah. Now I thought of that smoke of her torment, the smoke of, of the great harlot rising up, that city Babylon rising up forever and ever. I, I was born and raised here in Ozark. And they used to have Cox Cell Barn where, Murph, where Murphy's grocery store is. Oh, I think it's Apple Martin now, Apple Mart or something like that. But that Cox Cell Barn used to be right there. Back behind it, um, I can't remember. I, I know they had propane tanks there. I don't know what they still do. But on down, just a little ways down, there is the Tony Evans sawmill. How many remember that? Tony Evans sawmill. Scott, we're old. <laughs> and we go get sawdust for, you know, whatever, the horse stalls or whatever, when I was working for Glenn Campbell and, 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 and we go get the sawdust. And one thing about that sawmill is it burned 24 hours a day. Down under that sawdust, it burned. It never stopped burning. That's what I thought of when I read the smoke of her torment ascended up forever and ever. I want to be ready, don't you? I'm glad you came. Amen. Amen. Too, too late, no refunds. I'm glad you came too. If you'll come back tonight at 6 o'clock, you'll have that mean, harsh, pounding preacher from the book of Colossians. No, Josh does such a good job. I, you know, I, I do what the disciples did when Jesus ascended back to heaven at the, the Mount of Olives. When Josh preaches, I go. <laughs> and I don't mean like in a nursing home. <laughs> Just leave me alone. I'm having fun. Well, I did what the nursing home does this morning. I had my oatmeal. Judy didn't feed it to me, but I had my oatmeal. 
when we get old. You know, I want to get old. I want to get extremely old. I want to get Methuselah old. I want to get so old, it doesn't matter what I say to anybody. It doesn't matter what I think. Amen. Hello. i got to stop. Judy, Judy right now would be saying, stop. Please stop. We're glad you came. We're glad that the Lord is coming soon. It may happen before you get back here tonight. It may happen before you get in your automobile. It'll happen in one-tenth of fiftieth of a second that quick. Gone. That's what a twinkling of an eye is. It's one-fiftieth percent of a second. Faster than you can clap. Just gone. Just be there. And the devil will say, where'd he go? Where'd he go? And I'll look on the other side and say, I come through your front yard, sucker. <laughs> you couldn't get me. You've tried all this time, still can't get me. Do I respect the devil? No. But I do reverence when he's trying to come at us because he is a worthy foe. He's not worthy in the sense that worthy, but he, he's a powerful being. Amen. Stand with me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hey, we're going to, next Sunday morning, we're going to come charging out of the heavens on white stallions with our Savior, Jesus. Woo! And that will be worth coming for that. Amen. Josh's going to play and sing and that was a good Lord's Supper, too. I enjoyed that communion. What a blessing. The only thing that would make it better is the Lord come right now. <laughs> if you're not ready, if you're not ready, you're not coming to me, you're not coming to a church. But if you're not ready, you need to come to this altar. And don't come to this altar like you're going to contribute something to Jesus. Come to this altar because you're literally unworthy and covered in sin and misery. And you need God's mercy. You need God's forgiveness. That's what we all need. Josh plays and sing, altar's open.